Good morning. So good to see you this morning. Would you direct your attention to the stage as we begin our worship time together this morning?
Thank you, Miss Ruby and Hambell Choir for getting our service started off in a very good way. I uh, look forward to hearing from them again later on in our service. Uh, I'd like to welcome each and every one of you here to worship this morning. Um, we're thankful for your presence, uh, and we look forward to worshiping together. Uh, we'd like to especially welcome any guests that we might have this morning. And if you are visiting with us, we ask that you take a care card that is in the pew back in front of you and take just a moment and fill that information out and then uh, turn that in at the end of the service. Uh, you can do so by the, uh, the giving boxes that are at the end of the or the exit of the foyer of the sanctuary. Uh, you can put those in there. We'd like to get a recollection and know that you visited with us so that we can get back in touch with you. Uh, on the other side of that care card is a place for anybody to put uh, a prayer request, and uh, we would love to know that. We would love to pray for you, know how to pray for you. So take time to fill that out as well and put those in the giving boxes as you leave today. But we are super excited that you've chosen to worship with us here this morning at Pitts Baptist Church. Uh, and again, as in, uh, an effort to sort of expedite our announcement time at any time during announcements, you see the QR code up on the screen. You can take your phone out and scan that, and that will take you to the place to where you can sign up uh, and get uh, our email blast that goes out every week. Uh, you can also uh, go by the welcome desk and get the March newsletter that has, if you want a hard copy to put on your refrigerator or whatever, uh, that this keeps you plugged in to what's going on here at Pitts Baptist Church. Uh, so, but make sure that you're taking advantage of all those opportunities to know how you can stay plugged in. Uh, ladies, uh, you have a, an important event coming up in about a week and a half on March 14th is your spring event at 6.30 in the core. The theme is Living Abundantly, the Tale of Two Trees. Tickets can be purchased through March the 10th. Uh, this is a great opportunity for fellowship and growth and an incredible pasta bar. Where do I sign up? That sounds like a good deal. Pasta bar for dinner. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to invite your friends. Uh, so please visit the welcome desk or see Miss Connie for more uh, information or any questions that you might have about that event. Ladies, also, uh, your Bible recap gathering is this Thursday, March the 7th at 10.30 or at 6 in the evening in the small fellowship hall and be ready to discuss days 53 through 66. Also, um, on March 18th, uh, the North Carolina Baptist Singers and Orchestra will be in concert at First Baptist, Church of Con uh, First Baptist Church of Concord, and our own Jonathan Turner is involved in that. And so there's no tickets available, I mean, no tickets necessary to purchase to show up. Uh, I think it will be a, a good time. Am I right, Jonathan, on that? No tickets to show up? All right, good deal. Well, you play the violin in that, don't you? Yeah, there we go. So, man of many talents. So uh, make sure that you uh, make your way for that incredible evening of worship. Um, now we finished Master Life, and so we want to continue... Uh, uh, in that same vein of kicking off our service in the right way. And so we're going to read some scripture this morning and have a prayer um, before we continue on with the rest of our service. So uh, if you would listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 15, 
He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and this time that we can gather together to worship you. God, thank you that you have called us to be your followers. You have called us to be your disciples. And Lord, that begins with receiving the gift of salvation by repenting of our sin and confessing our sin and receiving by faith what Jesus did for us on the cross. God, our discipleship begins there. And so, Father, it is our prayer this morning that everyone in this room will know that. And then if there's anyone this morning that has not realized that in their life, that, that you love them enough to die for them, to give your life for them, I pray, Father, that they would see their need for salvation this morning, that they would know your love for them and what you've done for them in order to purchase their salvation. But Lord, many of us in this room this morning are your disciples. We follow you. God, I pray that you would help us to do that better. I pray, Father, that we would indeed bear much fruit, that you would uh, create in us a desire to show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do in us the work that only the Holy Spirit can do so that others around us would know that we follow you, that we are indeed your disciples, that it would also bring others into the light. God, we pray that everything that is done here this morning, through the singing, through the playing of instruments, and through the preaching of your word, will bring honor and glory to your name, and that will draw us closer to one another, but more importantly, closer to you. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. As we continue in worship together, would you stand with me and would you read with me responsively as directed on the screen? I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Proclaim with me the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Ladies. In your hand.
Lord, your name endures forever. Your reputation, Lord, through all generations. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth.
Amen. Thank you, handbells. Jesus loves me. We're grateful for that love. Amen. Find 2 Timothy chapter 2 in your copy of the scripture. I want to do a message very similar to last week as we uh, finished up Master Life. Um, continue getting us to concentrate on some things we need to uh, dwell on and make sure are a part of our lives. This morning I want to cover the subject matter, Faithful Christian Living. Faithful Christian Living. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we will stand now for the reading of God's word if you would stand with me please Paul says to Timothy and again 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 I'll be reading from the ESV Paul says you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit take your word, bring conviction and encouragement to hearts today. Lord, help us to see in these images that Paul presents what the Christian life, the faithful Christian life, is to involve and what it's to be about. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the, the world is enamored with success. I think of how Fortune Magazine and others every year list out top uh, companies uh, in America or, or top individuals in the world who have made some significant contribution. I think of all the books that have been written on some of these companies and individuals. It was no accident that many years ago... Lee Iacocca's biography stayed on the bestsellers list for so long. Uh, you, you may be too young to remember him. He took Chrysler Corporation and, and turned it around. Chrysler was about to go under it looked like. And Lee Iacocca took it and turned it around and turned it into a success story. I think of individuals like Jack Welch with... Uh, uh, General Electric, the former CEO, and all the attention that Jack Welch was receiving as a success story. And leadership books. You know, in the Christian church, we can do some of the same sometimes. We can hear of a particular ministry flourishing. They're doing something maybe nobody else is doing. And everybody runs over there to try to figure out what they're doing so they can copy it. And there'll be all kinds of books written and all kinds of conferences. The world loves success. Well, our passage today deals with success. It's not the world's view of it. 
It's not the world's definition of it, but it's God's. And so I think a better word than success would probably be the word faithfulness. Christian faithfulness. Folks, through it all, we know that we are to be faithful believers and faithful witnesses. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what you may be going through at some particular time in your life. Your life may be difficult. My life may be difficult at some point in time. We are still called upon to be faithful Christians. Sometimes I think of how Isaiah the prophet must have felt. You know, Isaiah the prophet is known as the prince of the prophets. He spoke more of the coming Messiah than any other Old Testament prophet. And yet when God called him and told him to go to his people, God basically told him because he was raising up the Assyrians against the people of Israel and then the Babylonians against the people of Judah, God told Isaiah basically as you're being faithful, as you're doing God's will and preaching his word, uh, the people are going to be diminishing. They're not, they're not going to be listening Uh, They're going to see but not see. They're going to hear but not hear. And finally they're going to be driven from the land. And Isaiah you're going to be a witness to all of this. But in the midst of it all you're to be faithful. You're to be faithful. Folks God has a higher standard for us. A better standard than the world. You know, we could call 2 Timothy chapter 2 God's resume for success or faithfulness. And chapter 2 is filled with images of what a faithful Christian is all about. And you know, images communicate, they're powerful because we can, we can really see through the image what is being communicated. That's the purpose of these images. This is perhaps one of the most important passages in the Word of God for the child of God to reflect and meditate on. In verse 7, Paul's going to say to Timothy, Timothy, consider what I'm saying. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to regularly, habitually think about these things that I'm saying to you. Think about these images, reflect on them, study them. Because as you do so, God will impress more and more upon your heart what they mean for your life. Well, I want us to look at these images and lay our lives alongside of them to give ourselves a a checkup to see how we're doing. And what we're going to see this morning is that God measures Christian faithfulness, again, not by the world's standards of success, but by standards that include our personal growth, our investment in others, our detachment from a love of the things of this world, our discipline, and our hard work. We're going to see all of this. And there's five images that I want us to look at. Now granted, if, if you read some of the literature on this passage, some of the commentaries, most commentators will focus 
on three images. I'm going to give you five. They'll focus on three. They'll treat the first two verses as more introduction. And then they'll pick up with the image of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer and concentrate on those three. Some will list four with uh, the teacher being the first one, the teacher, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. I want to actually give you five because I see some implied images here as well. And each image is going to illustrate the point that I'm going to be giving to you. Image number one would be of a growing child. And it certainly shows us that faithfulness in the Christian life involves a growing relationship with Christ. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Literally, be made strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we could preach a series of messages just on that phrase and that verse alone. Be made strong. And you don't see it as well in the English, but in the Greek text, uh, there are some things that stand out. First of all, it's in the passive tense. In other words, Timothy, you're not going to make yourself strong by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. In the Christian life, you've got to be made strong because it's Christ doing that in you through His grace. The secret of a Christian's strength and maturity is not in himself, but it's in Christ living His life in and through that person. Kevin Knight read earlier John 15 where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, you can do nothing apart from me. Jesus said, abide in me and let my words abide in you. For apart from me you can do nothing and you are nothing. Folks, all of our strength for living the Christian life comes through our relationship with Christ. That's where we started week one in Master Life. By concentrating on that, our love of God, abiding in Christ, that's got to be first. And that's how he makes us strong. Along with it being in the passive, there's a couple other things here. And I don't want to get overly technical with the Greek grammar, but on the one hand, it might be the locative case. Be made strong in, in the arena of God's grace. Or it could be the instrumental case. Be made strong by means of God's grace. Maybe some implication of both. But think of that. Being made strong in God's grace and by God's grace. Folks, it's kind of like faith. In Romans 1, Romans 1, we're told that we need faith in order to be saved. It also tells us there that after we're saved, we've got to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, it's the same with God's grace. We wouldn't have salvation without God's grace. And we certainly wouldn't have strength to go on in daily life with challenges in the world without God's grace either. And so we are to continue to grow in the grace of God that God gives us from day one at our salvation. You know, Paul could say to Timothy back in chapter 1, Timothy, suffer with me. 
He told Timothy, hang in there with me. Don't be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. How can a young man, how could Timothy do something like that? Only by the strength that God gives Timothy through his grace. How can we bear up to the challenges we face in 2024? Only by the grace that we have uh, through Jesus Christ. It's also imperative. The means that Christian growth... Uh, the, the verse about Christian growth here, it, it's not just given as a suggestion. It, it's a command from God. It's God's will that you and I be made strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus. God wants his church spiritually strong in a dark and a dying world. Now the type of strength the world loves, I know, I, I realize is physical strength. But again, God's ways are different. And so we constantly need to be asking ourselves, how are we growing spiritually? Are we growing spiritually? And how do we grow spiritually? Well, we apply the rules of growing. There's no secret to Christian growth. You, uh, just like physical growth, where you have to eat and drink and exercise and sleep. In the Christian life, we've got to keep our time with God. We've got to wait on God. We've got to be studying the scriptures. We've got to be serving Him. Again, it's like physical growth. You've got to do the things that bring about growth. You're not going to grow in Christ and be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus unless you take very definite steps to grow. Christian growth, sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness, it's not going to just magically happen. We're to grow. And you know, as we think about the humanity of the Lord Jesus, we're told in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 2, that even as a child, Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, he grew socially. And that's a pattern for each and every one of us. What are you doing in your Christian life to grow intellectually? Loving God with all your mind. What are you doing to grow physically? Remember, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing to grow socially? What are you doing to grow spiritually? Jesus is our pattern here. We are to be a growing child. I don't care if you're 80 years old. You're to be a growing child in your relationship with Christ. A second image Paul gives is a teacher. And it shows us that faithfulness in the Christian life involves entrusting to faithful men and women what you have learned concerning the gospel. He says in verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so here we have the image of a steward or a teacher. We're to be a growing child and likewise a teacher, a steward. 
You see, the last thing that we are to do as Christians in the church is to keep everything for ourselves. We are to be investing in others. We are to be helping others grow in their faith in Christ. We have school teachers in the church. And their passion is to see their students develop, grow. Might be math or science or English or history, whatever subject it is. But a teacher wants to prepare their students. So hopefully one day their students can carry on with the knowledge that's been invested in them. And that's what we're to be doing in the Christian faith. Our Christianity is not to be having the attitude, us for and no more. You know, we've got our group, we like, we like everything just like it is. No, we're to constantly be thinking of others. How can we reach others? How can we disciple them? How can we uh, invest in them? And how can we raise them up to send them out into ministry? And that's what Paul wants Timothy to do. Because you see, in the end of the letter, he's going to talk about how he wants Timothy to come to Rome because Paul knows he's about to be put to death for being a preacher of the gospel. And in his second imprisonment, he, he has that assurance that it's not going to end well this time. And so he wants Timothy to come to him and, and bring him a cloak. Winter's coming. Bring the parchments. Bring the scriptures, book, books, and so forth for Paul inside that prison. And so Timothy's going to be leaving that congregation that he pastored there in Ephesus. And, and if Timothy's going to be able to leave Ephesus and come to Rome where Paul is, there's going to be, have to be people there at Ephesus that can take over in Timothy's absence. And so he's to be raising up people like that, passing along the faith. Paul says Timothy was, was taught publicly. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, you know, Sometimes when you think of cults today, you'll occasionally hear of a cult that has some type of camp somewhere under heavy guard and security and you can't get in there. You know, they kind of do what they do behind closed doors. That's not how Christianity is. Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, everything you've heard me preach, everything you've heard me teach, it's been in the presence of, of many witnesses. Nothing secretive about Christianity. It, it's transparent. Here's what we believe. Here's what we're doing. And he says, Timothy, you're to take what's been taught to you in, in church publicly and you're to pass that on. You're not to peddle novelties. You're not to peddle new ideas. A preacher of the gospel is to never have as his intent week by week to try to come up with something new that nobody has ever heard before. We preach the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now, it may be new applications of that truth for a new generation, but it's not. The truth itself is not new. Application may be new or fresh in some way, but not the teaching itself. 
And notice Paul says, Timothy, what you're to be doing is passing this along uh, to faithful men and women, reliable men and women. Folks, here's what matters to God, reliable people. Would you and I be in that category, reliable? You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in biblical studies, just reliable. These reliable men and women could be counted on to continue to pass along the Christian faith, to invest in others and disciple others. God is looking for reliability. Folks, that's a big issue in the church today. You, you listen to pastors talking today and they're having a fit getting people to do things consistently. You can get somebody to do something for a month or two. But how about some role in the church, some ministry where you're looking for a year commitment, two year, a three year commitment. It's getting more and more difficult. God's looking for reliable people. Timothy had a rich heritage himself. A lot had been passed on to him. Uh, you look back at chapter 1 and he says, uh, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. He had a grandmother and a mother who had discipled him. And He's been the recipient of that rich Christian heritage in his home. Remember, his dad was an unbeliever, but he had a godly mother and grandmother. And they'd invested in young Timothy. Now Timothy's grown up. He's a leader in the church. He's to pass it on. Folks, there's the unmistakable principle in the Word of God that you and I are to try to always be reproducing ourselves spiritually. Are we doing that? Are we passing it along? Are we investing in others? Who are you investing in? God has entrusted so much to us. There's a beautiful trio in chapter 1 and then going into chapter 2 of what God's entrusted to us. Chapter 1, verse 12, Paul, Paul says, I've entrusted my life to the Lord. In verse 14, he says, God has entrusted the gospel to me. And chapter 2, he says, we're to entrust God's truth to others. I've entrusted my life to God. He's entrusted me with the gospel. And now I'm to entrust that to others. And the exciting thing is uh, to see that happen in people's lives. That, that's one of the joys that we have as your church staff. So uh, we realize that you don't often see what some of us see as staff members. When we're working, maybe Kevin Knight with the young people, Kevin Seeger with college age and young adults, when we're working with the men's group or whatever, and, and somebody comes to you and they've got some questions, they've got some doubts, they've got some struggles they're going through, and you sit down and you work with that person, and over time, you just see tremendous growth. You see a transformation taking place in that person. 
Folks, that kind of keeps you going. That motivates you. It's exciting to see that. I want you to remember that you're to be a part of that. All of us in this room have people that we can influence for Christ. We don't transform them. God does that. He simply entrusts us with the message and we're to invest in them. We're to be reliable men and women who pass it on. A third image, a soldier. Faithfulness in the Christian life involves an allegiance to Jesus Christ that is even willing to suffer for the gospel. Verse 3, Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So we have a military illustration here. Had a growing child, a teacher, now a, a soldier. And a soldier is a picture of somebody who is willing to suffer hardship on the interest of his country and his commanding officer. You know, every year the July 4th service and then in November around Veterans Day, we salute those who have served in the armed forces. And if we could hear their testimonies, they could tell you far better than the rest of us who are not veterans. When you enlist in the military, I mean, you get a new outfit, you get a uniform, you essentially turn in your civilian clothes. Welcome to the army now, or marines, or whatever it is. You want to sleep late? Sorry. (laughs) You get up when the bugle calls. You want steak for supper? That may not be what's in the mess hall for tonight. may not be steak and shrimp and lobster. might be rice and then something you don't even know what it is, really, some kind of meat. You want to go home and visit mama and daddy or visit your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your husband, your wife? Sorry. You can go home and visit when you get a pass to go home and visit. You're not your own. Your commanding officer calls every aspect of your life as long as you're on duty. And as a soldier, there may be some difficult things you have to face. Some hard training. I mean, I think of what Marines say they go through in basic training. Wow. Uh, Other branches, the same, same thing. If you go to war, there's a lot to endure. The service may take you away from your family. It may keep you for a long period of time. You may not even come home. A faithful servant of Christ is like that. All of your life is centered around pleasing your commanding officer in the country that you're a soldier for. Remember that time in Mark 10, a young man ran up to Jesus, a rich young ruler, and uh, he wanted to follow Christ. Christ laid some hurdles in his path, and he wasn't willing to overcome those hurdles. Luke 9, that section of 9 through 14 on discipleship, a young man runs up to him and says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere you want me to go, but just let me go home and bury my, my dad first. 
And what the young man was saying is not that my dad has died and, hey, I need a day or two to go home and bury him. Let me go home and be there for mom and dad while they live out that last quarter or whatever of their lives. And let me, let me be there. And when they're dead and gone and I don't have that attachment, then I'll come and follow you. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me now. Folks, it's not a matter if war breaks out. We are in war. We're in spiritual warfare. Paul says so in Ephesians 6. We're in a battle not just against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. We're in a battle. And so Christian soldiers have to keep their lives free of entanglements. We've got to have a single-minded purpose. A soldier doesn't have the liberties, all the liberties that a civilian has. He can't do some of the things a civilian does. He can't go some of the places maybe a civilian goes. His time is not his own like a civilian. We can say all the same things about a faithful Christian disciple. Your life is not your own. The Bible says you've been bought with a price. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil that we constantly battle against. And you know what I believe one of the chief weapons of the enemy, of Satan, is to get modern day Christians in the modern day church so diverted and entangled that we focus on the wrong things and maybe even focus on the things of the world. And we can end up wasting years of our lives if we're not careful. You know what? Some of these entanglements, Satan is a master at what he uses too. He doesn't, he, he, you know, it, it, it's, it's not that he uses things, dangles things in front of you that you have a natural dislike for. I mean, you'd have no trouble staying away from those things. He puts things before you that maybe you would kind of naturally gravitate towards if you weren't careful. Is there something in your life that is consuming your interest and time other than Christ? Is there something in your life that could be considered an entanglement? Deal with it. And what's the soldier have in his or her mind? The reward of pleasing their commanding officer. The fourth image is an athlete. And we see there, faithfulness in the Christian life involves a willingness to discipline your life. Look at what he says in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What stands out as being characteristic of an athlete? There's self-control and discipline. And I've told you before, the Greco-Roman world, they were just as obsessed with athletics as we are today. And so they had to offer proof that they had rigorously trained for their event they were participating in for at least 10 months before the event. And then for the last two months out of those 10, they had to go to like a, a public type arena, a public type uh, gym or whatever so they, their training could be under supervision their training could be under scrutiny and supervision 
Their, their training had to qualify too. Not just the event that they took place in, but their training that they did had to meet certain guidelines. And then once they got in the event, they had to follow the rules just like today. If they were a runner, for instance, they could run in an event and then shown to be disqualified. I told you about somebody like that last week. Rosie Ruiz, who ran in the 1980 Boston Marathon, but she didn't run in the marathon. She started and then jumped the subway train and went near the finish line and finished. She was disqualified. And in ancient times, only after the judges counseled together about the winner and that the, the, the athlete who was the winner had trained properly under supervision, had followed all the regulations, then they had taken part in their event, had not broken any of the rules, only then could they be announced as the winner. And they would be called up on a podium with the emperor and they would be presented a crown. It was a big deal in the Greco-Roman world. And the victor's crown was the Stephanos. It was more like a leaf than anything else. A, a leaf made out of branches or leaves or vines or something. In other words, it was a crown that was perishable. And so they would train like they trained. They would discipline themselves like they did. They would diet like they dieted. They would obey all of the rules just for the temporary passing pleasure of being called up and presented with a crown that was going to be dried up leaves maybe in a few weeks. They would do it all for that. Paul says believers get a crown that never fades. Amen? We do what we do for a crown that never fades. What a shame that so many of today's athletes are more dedicated and disciplined and controlled when it comes to their sporting event than we are as believers in the Christian life. It ought not to be that way. The fifth image, a farmer. And what we see here, faithfulness in the Christian life involves hard work. He says in verse 6, It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Just like a soldier is disciplined. Well, we go back to a growing child has to do things to grow. A teacher does things to pass along uh, to their students. Uh, a, a soldier has... To not get entangled, an athlete has to be disciplined. What, what stands out about the farmer? The farmer is a hard worker. Boy, I saw this firsthand in my first church out of seminary. A farming community, a bedroom community to Roanoke, Virginia. Dairy farming and apple orchards were big in that area. And I used to love going and helping some of the farmers. Connie and I were friends. There was one young couple in the church, uh, Glenn and Diane. And Glenn had a big dairy farm with his other two brothers. They, they ran that dairy farm together. Of course, they had other workers. But when Glenn's rotation would come that he had the night shift, sometimes I would go down and, and, and help him milk at night. I enjoyed doing that. 
And uh, boy, it's amazing even, I mean, this was 1989 and 1990. Even back then how sophisticated farming was. When they would go to breed their cows, all that was artificially done. They'd say, you know, this cow maybe has weak hips or has some other characteristic we want to counteract. Uh, with her calves and so they would look for a bull that would kind of help that, all this genetic stuff engineering that would go into breeding and, and then they'd have think collars around their neck with a box kind of like dogs today with an invisible fence other than their normal feed they'd walk up to a little bin and it would read on their collar and it would drop down nutrients that that individual cow needed so sophisticated and it was fascinating to get out and work with some of these farmers and uh, do some of what they did. They said, you're crazy. This is hard work to us. I said, well, you know, if you're behind a desk studying and sitting in hospital rooms and all, this is kind of recreation, getting out and doing this. And they're like, this is crazy. But, you know, it was just a hobby for me. I'd do it for a few hours and go home. I had to live in that all the time. Getting up hay wasn't fun because, I mean, that'd be at the end of the summer. It'd be 95 degrees and 90% humidity, and you'd be stacking bales up on a hay wagon that 12 feet in the air. Probably time you were done, get back in the barn loft, hot, sweaty, all that stuff stuck to you and have to stack it in there. It's hard work that farmers do. Hard-working farmers. That's the idea here. Farmers work hard. I noticed these farmers that I would help, oftentimes they, they couldn't even think about a vacation. They couldn't get away from the farm and all the livestock. They may be milking three or four hundred cows twice a day. Some of them were milking three times a day. You can't go away on vacation. Hard working. And then they prepare the fields, they cultivate, then they would plan and fertilize, take care of their livestock. Uh, I mean, it, it was tough. And then as far as their fields, the harvest only comes after weeks and months of working and waiting. Not only is a farmer hardworking, they're patient. Because the harvest doesn't happen overnight. A very picturesque way that Paul is using to describe to Timothy what is involved in the Christian life. It takes a lot of patience. You have to see it through. You have to be involved. You can't work a field from a, a distance. You can't avoid rolling up your sleeves. Sometimes there's, there's pain involved and there's weeds and thorns. And, and, and again, it's just tough. It, it's hard. But then the harvest comes. Or the sales that a farmer has, whatever he farms in comes. And he enjoys some of the harvest. Another image of the Christian life. Psalm 126 says, He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What's the image there? A Christian who's faithfully sowing the seed of the word of God, praying and waiting and working, and eventually, he or she will have the joy of seeing the spiritual harvest. So you look at these five images. A growing child. A teacher. 
a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. Lay your life down alongside of each one of these images. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing at living a faithful Christian life? So that one day you'll hear those words from the Lord as you stand before Him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Three takeaways I want to give you. God looks at things differently than people do. God looks at things differently than people do. This calls for us to allow the Lord and His Word to determine what life is to be. Secondly, a life of faithfulness to God takes effort and intentionality. It won't just happen. And thirdly, Christians need to live for the approval of God and not simply what other people think. Now folks, it's true. Bible says we are to be at peace with all people as much as it is possible with us. But that doesn't mean we're to always go, go around uh, going along to get along. To go along to get along. That's how some people live. We're not to do that. There are definitely occasions when we've got to swim against the current, so to speak. Again, how are you doing at living a faithful Christian life? Would you bow with me in prayer, please? As you're bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed, are you willing to commit yourself to growing in Christ? Are you committed to growing in Christ? Then what do you need to start doing and how can we help you? Second, are you reproducing yourself? Are you investing your life in others? Are there some entanglements you need to shake loose of? Some things dominating your life that's keeping you from dedicating everything to Christ the way you know you should be? May not necessarily be bad things. May just be some hindrances that are keeping you from faithful Christian living to the degree that you should. Is your problem discipline? Perhaps laziness is the problem. A farmer's hard working, Christian growth, hard work. Athletes, discipline, hard work. You've got to pray. You've got to wait. You've got to be disciplined. Do you need to deal with any of this in your life? Father, I pray that we would indeed deal with whatever it is in our life that is keeping us from being, from living the faithful Christian life. Lord, help us to deal with those things in this world. The things in the flesh. 
The things that are diverting our attention from you, the things that are knocking us off track, help us to deal with all, any laziness, lack of discipline. Lord, help us to be willing to lay all of that at your feet and grow determined with purpose and intentionality to grow in Christ, to invest in others, to pass along our faith as a teacher, a faithful steward. Lord, be speaking to hearts and minds about these issues today and this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We just